0: Listener-supported, St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820
1: brings you Answering the Call, offering a glimpse into the spiritual journeys of local priests, deacons, and religious. And now, Answering the Call with Elizabeth
0: Ficcicelli. Hello and thanks for joining us on Answering the Call here on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 and streaming live on stgabrielradio.com. I'm your host, Elizabeth Ficcicelli. And when my guest was a teen, he attended a youth group camp that prepared him to talk Catholics out of the church. And the irony is, he would one day find himself a member of the very church he once opposed, the Catholic Church, serving in it for many years in lay ministry and then in more recent years as a Catholic priest. So who says God doesn't have a sense of humor? He's Father Jimmy Hatfield. He's the pastor of St. Joseph's Catholic Church out in Dover, Ohio, And I'm so delighted to finally have him here on the program. So welcome, Father Hatfield, to answering the call.
2: Thank you very much, Elizabeth.
0: Now, you hail from my neck of the woods, Reynoldsburg, Ohio. Uh, You grew up in a very religious family, but not a Catholic family, Southern Baptist. So let's start there. And tell us what you mean by a practicing Baptist family.
2: Well, we weren't Southern Baptists. We were independent, fundamental Baptists. Oh, okay. There's over 50 different types of Baptists. So we were independent of any organized group. And uh in a Baptist family, especially the one I grew up in, everything was very bible-centered. Mm. And um my mother would read scripture to us every night to keep us quiet while my dad slept between his working shifts. So we had a real good grounding in sacred scripture. Um and it just became a part of our everyday life and part of what we did uh Four or five times a week, we would be at church doing various functions and doing Bible studies, Sunday school, and Sunday evening services and visitations.
0: Okay. And one of the expressions you may hear um, when you're talking to someone who's Baptist is the concept of being saved. Yes. So explain to us at least what your understanding of uh, of being saved as you're growing up in in the Baptist faith.
2: At that time uh, in my life, and, and that particular understanding of salvation has to do with the heart being convicted of sin and the need of of Christ's salvation in your life. And at that moment of conviction, then you are moved to move forward and publicly profess your faith in Jesus Christ, which would then be followed by baptism.
0: Okay, so was there a set age or were there classes you would undergo? No,
2: not at all. It would just be a conviction of the heart whenever you felt moved by the Holy Spirit that this was your time for salvation that is when you would move up forward and make that profession.
0: And was it a one-and-done kind of thing, or could someone do this more than once? You could
2: be done more than once. In fact, I was saved and baptized twice. Because the first time um, I went forward and made my profession, I was about 10 years old. And then as I got into my teen years, I was about 15 years old. I was at one of those church camps. Mm -hmm. And I just felt this incredible Sensation of the spirit moving through me, and I thought, well, perhaps this is my true call okay. to to salvation. So I went forward again, and when i made I remember when I made my profession prayer uh which was basically the sinner's prayer, I remember paying attention to every single word so mm-hmm. that I knew that this would be the one time, okay, and I could never go back and say that, man, eh, maybe it didn't happen the last time, but I do have a friend of mine. Who went through the process at least six times?
0: Mm, okay, so fifteen, and you're feeling a a, a powerful, you know, a calling to go forward. Were you thinking maybe back then in your youth of going into ministry one day? Was that the kind of powerful love you had for Jesus?
2: I think so. I, it had always been, probably since I was six or seven years old when I first read a comic book about missionaries in Africa, and I found that just so romantic and mm-hmm. something so exciting about that. So I always that was always in the back of my mind as something that I would want to do with my life.
0: What were you told about Catholics, and, and why were you eager to save them?
2: Well, uh, in attending one of those summer camps uh, when we got in, there on stage was a man dressed as a Catholic priest and a woman dressed as a Catholic nun. Turns out he used to be a priest and she used to be a nun. Mm. And they would tell us all of the things that were wrong with the Catholic Church, like they worship idols, mm. uh, they follow man-made laws and not God's laws, uh, they don't believe in the Bible, and uh, you know we worship Mary and those kind of things. So those were the kind of ideas that I went out with in my early attempts at evangel- evangelization of trying to uh, bring catholics back to the truth.
0: And was this kind of a door to door evangelism? Oh
2: absolutely yeah, you go door to door and um, we would ask if there were any catholics in the house. And if not then we would walk away and if so, we pretty much always had the door closed in our faces.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think about that and I think it was probably cuz of fear, you know, catholics get fearful when someone comes to their doorstep because they feel like they're not adequately, you know, prepared to Go defend scripture for faith. scripture verse, or defend the faith, and
2: and that you said something very interesting there. Going scripture verse for scripture verse, uh, that could be a real contention, not just between uh, Baptists and Catholics, but even among Protestants themselves. I mm. experienced that uh, in my early twenties when I would have other Protestant denominations coming to my door, and we would get into these scripture battles. I called them. And uh, they're totally unwinnable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. So you went to high school and thinking ahead, uh, still had this idea maybe of ministry in the back of your head, but uh, you chose to go to the military versus a college route. That's correct. So talk about the military uh, experience, where that would take you.
2: Well, I um, joined the military right out of high school in 1974. And my idea was when I enlisted Uh, talk to my recruiter, I would enlist as a what's called a chaplain's aide. Mm -hmm. And the chaplain's aide was just uh, to assist uh, the ministers in preparing for the Sunday services or the Wednesday services or Bible studies or those kind of things. But about halfway through basic training, uh, my drill sergeant uh, told me that I needed to uh, go to the flight surgeon for a physical. I couldn't understand why. And he says, well, just make sure you pass. And I said, I'll do my best. And so after I took the flight physical, um, it was told that uh, the Air Force didn't really need any more chaplain's aides. They needed (laughs) air traffic controllers. So that was the purpose for the flight physical. And then that was the new direction that I was taken into in my military career was an air traffic controller.
0: Okay. Because I could see, you know, wanting to go into chaplaincy, that would be a logical stepping stone to future ministry. Well, how did your faith fare during your years in the military? Was it challenged?
2: Oh, it was very much challenged. I lived in a small town of Alamogordo, New Mexico, which is where Holloman Air Force Base is located, where I was stationed. And Again, there was a small town, but a lot of churches. There must have been at least maybe 60 churches in that little small town, and everybody was vying for your (laughs) enrollment. Mm, And the church that I transferred um, my membership to from Columbus Baptist Temple to Alamogordo Baptist Temple, and I thought this was the logical move because their names were very much alike. Mm -hmm. But it turned out that that wasn't the case at all. Um, the pastor had a very different outlook of uh, running a church, a uh, very different outlook of Scripture than what I had grown up with. Yeah. Because I grew up 18 years in the Columbus Baptist Temple, and so anything different from that was really quite a shock. Oh, yeah. To to me, and and uh, took a lot of adjustment that eventually I could not make the adjustment to.
0: So you stepped away from that. Did you pursue another faith or another Baptist expression? Or? No,
2: I totally stepped away from any kind of organized religion because at that time I was probably in my early 20s, but 21, thinking that all I needed was God and myself
0: mm-hmm. and my Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, well, even I, your Bible, that that's probably one more than a lot of people of think Of course. At that well, you
2: got to have your Bible. Yeah. So. And so uh, – yeah, for the next eleven years, I tried that route.
0: Yeah, we're talking with Father Jimmy Hatfield. He's the pastor of Saint Joseph's Catholic Church in Dover, Ohio, and he's our guest today on Answering the Call here on Saint Gabriel Catholic Radio. And I'm your host, Elizabeth Ficicelli. So, so Father Hatfield, um, you were out of the military at this point and out of organized religion. What did you do with your life at that point then?
2: Well, at that point, I did a number of things. Um, I managed nightclubs, restaurants, uh, was in a band for several years and trying to just find my path through life. And, uh, because I'd always loved music. Music has always been a very important part of my life. And so I tried to make a go of that as a career and, uh, went to college when I could, uh, took a lot of courses in anthropology, music. Um, and then I fell in love with history at that particular point. So I must have had two or three majors within my first two or three years of Mm. college.
0: (laughs) And uh, what would bring you eventually back to Ohio?
2: Well, the fact that I just missed Ohio, um, and I missed my parents. My parents uh, still lived in Columbus at the time, in Reynoldsburg. And so I very much kind of wanted to be near them, and I kind of felt that What I was doing in New Mexico had come to a dead end. My life certainly wasn't getting any better, and I wasn't advancing in any particular career, so I thought a fresh start closer to home might be the thing to do.
0: That sounded logical. But the attraction to ministry, you know, again began to surface in you. So help us understand what on earth would bring you to the Catholic Church of all places.
2: Well, when I came back to Ohio, I got a job in a restaurant, as one of their managers. And the owner of the franchise that I worked for was very much Catholic and a a wonderful person. And part of my job was to cater uh, various special events. And one of the events that I would cater on a regular basis was the pre-Cana sessions that were held at St. Mary's of the Springs. Mm -hmm. And as I was... Uh, serving their lunches, I came across and met a wonderful lady, uh, Dominican nun, Sister Jeanette Walligore, And she was such a sweet, wonderful, happy person, but she obviously had s- suffering going on in her life as a result of a stroke. Mm. And that impressed me, that she had such a tremendous sense of joy in her work Although it was a struggle for her to set up the big, large, eight foot tables, you know, each Saturday for these luncheons. And so I would go in a little earlier and help her out, and we would just talk. And finally, we just, uh, I had to ask her, I said, Sister, why are you so happy? Mm -hmm. And she said, Because I love Jesus so much. And I said, But that can't be. You're Catholic. You can't (laughs) love Jesus that much. And she laughed. And uh, she goes, well, we'll talk, and and we would talk each week. And eventually she said, maybe you need to just go to Mass and see what it's like. Well, I'd been to Mass once with a girl I was dating in high school, and um, it was a Christmas midnight Mass, and I thought it was the most horrible thing I had ever experienced in my life. Yeah. Being a Baptist, yeah. I was totally out of my element. <laughs> and uh, so I went to Mass. Of course, I brought my Bible with me because I thought that's what you did when you go to church and realized right away that the Bible had no place in the Mass. <laughs> no I one else had their find. Bible under their arm. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, But I was impressed by a couple of things. First of all, it was a 6.30 in the morning Mass, and there were over 30 people there at St. Matthias Church where the late... Father Lavelle was the pastor at the time, and I was so impressed with the love and the dedication that that showed, that these people would come five days a week, that early in the morning, to worship God, and then the other thing that drew me was just the sense of sacredness, the sense of you're in a holy place, and something holy is happening, and I couldn't answer any of the questions that I was, that was going through my mind at the time until uh, Father Lavelle and I would have several conversations after the Mass, and, and he began to answer my questions and objections, and pretty soon I thought, well, maybe this is where I'm being called to be because this is starting to feel an awful lot like home.
0: What were your biggest objections at the time for you personally, do you think, in the idea of becoming Catholic?
2: Well, the first thing was the last thing in the world I had ever thought I would become would be Catholic because of what I had been taught as a youth. Sure. And uh, one of the first things I read was a quote by uh, Fulton Sheen, and I hope I don't bungle it too bad, but essentially what he said was people dislike the Catholic Church not because of what they know about it, but because of what they think they know about the Church. And I was finding myself In that very same position, I was learning the truth as opposed to what I had been taught um, as a young person and carried with me all through my adult life.
0: Right. So the more you talked with Father Lavelle and you got your questions answered and you got your complaints satisfied, um, you started to become ready to make this move. Yes.
2: I had also uh, spent a good deal of time in the religious education office um, going through their videos, reading their books. And uh, I learned a lot in that way as well. So uh, on December 16th of 1988, um, Father Lavelle heard my first confession, and then I made my profession of faith. My boss and his wife and the organist, Mary Graff, were present at the time. And then when that was over, he said, okay, you can come back to Mass this evening and receive communion for the first time. So I was very excited about that.
0: And you were in. You were Catholic. Yeah. And then um, Father Lavelle wanted to put you to work right away. <laughs> yes, he did. He says, well,
2: since you were a Baptist, you must know the Bible really well. And I said, well, yes and no. I said, I'm I'm starting to find out that there's a whole new way, a whole new perspective of, of approaching the Bible rather than the fundamentalist, uh, you know, every, take everything word for word as mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And so he said, well, okay, maybe later. He says, well, how about teaching sixth and, or fifth and sixth grade PSR? And I went, well, okay, I can try that. And it was the best door that had opened for me in my life up to that time because I realized how much, first of all, you can learn by teaching.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's what they say. And
2: yeah. then also how much I love to teach. Yeah. So that kind of really opened up the door of ministry to me right away. And I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, it was did, did hard the, work, but it was the best work.
0: Did the kids have any idea that you were a, a new Catholic yourself or it didn't that really didn't matter really matter to them. Yeah. What
2: mattered to them was that I kept them awake. Yeah, there <laughs> every you go. Whole class.
0: <laughs> and you know, you had mentioned that you had spent a lot of time in the diocesan offices because you took advantage of the resources there because you know, you had a great thirst to learn this new faith. And uh, this would lead you actually to a position with the diocese in the Department of Religious Education. Yeah, my
2: first uh, job with the church was in 1990, uh, where I was able to become the librarian for the audiovisual library. And um, I did that for about a year.
0: And then you also were involved with the charism program for yes. ministry formation, did that for a while.
2: Did that for two years. Actually, three years, because I had to take an extra year. Um, That was a wonderful experience where I learned so much about every aspect of the faith, from ministry, Scripture, history, um, the sacraments, things that I had never experienced before and had a chance to do this with 26 other wonderful people.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a really great program. We've had our guests talk about the Charism Program. And then you'd work for the diocese again in ministry and formation.
2: Yes, I came back in 1996 uh to the office of Ministry Formation and on the very same day I was hired there I was also hired to help at the uh, cathedral bookshop.
0: So and, and somewhere along the way you you have completed a degree in theology and philosophy from ODU. Yes. And so, you know, here you're on this 17-year journey, you know, you're learning about the faith in big ways and stuff. Did did anyone Mentioned to you, you know, did you ever think about serving the church at yet a deeper level in terms of vocation? I had a
2: number of friends who would say, Jimmy, why aren't you a priest? And I said, well, because I'm just not exactly sure what direction that would go. I thought about, uh, looked into the Jesuits, looked into the Benedictines. Uh, but as I was growing closer to uh, getting my degree at ODU, um, it looked like I was going to enter into the diaconate. And then uh, simultaneously with that, also attend Notre Dame, which I had been accepted to enter into their master's program in Scripture. So I thought that was going to be uh, the course until uh, the vocation director of the time, whose office was right next to mine, Father Jeff Conning, uh, said, Jimmy, you're not called to be a deacon, you're called to be a priest. So uh, he submitted the idea to Bishop Campbell who was our new uh, bishop at the time? and um, I went through all of the testing and the interviews and then entered into the seminary in 2005 at the Josephineum.
0: Now, you have kind of a good story about this because you were really ready to take whatever path would open. Yes. You were like totally obedient and ready. If the bishop said yes, you were ready. But if Notre Dame, and you know, if the bishop said no, not right now or anything, you were ready to go to Notre Dame.
2: Yeah, that uh, the, cla- the day that I had my meeting with the bishop was the same day the classes were to begin at Notre Dame.
0: No stress. <laughs> so no stress.
2: Uh, I had my car packed for Notre Dame. Uh, the meeting was at eight o'clock in the morning. And if the bishop said, no, not at this time in terms of seminary, then I had about five and a half hours to get to Notre Dame (laughs) and uh, in order to register on time for those summer classes. So when I met with the bishop and he says, Jimmy, we think we'd like you to apply for the seminary. Then I said, I guess I'm not going to Notre Dame. He said, no. (laughs) And so I had to go home and unpack (laughs) and then pack again a few weeks later.
0: Because off you'd (laughs) go then to the Josephinum in 2005 and five years later, because you already had that degree from ODU, so you had your philosophy and theology classes, many of those. Um, In 2010, you were ordained a priest for the Roman Catholic Church. Yes. That had to be difficult from some of your Baptist friends and family, no?
2: Um, it was um, difficult for uh, my immediate family, my sisters and my brother. Uh, just becoming Catholic was difficult for them. But over the years, we went through a process of, of they saw the difference that it made in my life. They saw how much closer to Jesus I was than I had been before. And while they may not 100% support uh, how I'm living that out, uh, we have come very close as a family in our faith and uh, I think one of the most moving parts of my ordination was when my uncle Joe um, actually came to the ordination Mm -hmm. and uh, knelt on the kneeler to be blessed he and his wife and I have a picture of that and it's just it was one of the most powerful moments of my life.
0: It's beautiful that they could come there and support you in that way, even if they didn't totally understand it for themselves, that they could be there. You know, um, as I'm just listening to you, I was thinking if someone um, who's listening to this might have a relative or or a friend or someone they know that's Baptist and they want to engage them in a conversation about the Catholic faith, You know, is there an approach you would recommend or something you would avoid?
2: (laughs) Find the common ground and don't start off trying to argue points of doctrine. You know, start off with faith in Jesus Christ. This is something that we both have in common. Start off with the importance of Scripture in both uh, Protestant and Catholic faiths. Uh, start that salvation is possible through faith. And then work on the, what is we have in common. Sure. And then if a door opens to discussing the differences, then you take them. But if the door doesn't open, don't don't go through it. Don't try and break through because then you'll just alienate Mm. Uh, the Holy Spirit works as the Holy Spirit works and opens the doors where he will. So uh, there should be nothing to fear in talking to a relative or friend about your faith, but at the same time, know your faith and know where the boundaries are that you can discuss.
0: That's a good, very good point. So after your um ordination to the priesthood father you've been serving in various parishes for the last 60 years you have been at St Joseph's in Dover yes uh St Francis uh, de Sales in Newcomerstown yes uh St Coleman of Cloyne in Washington Courthouse yes. and now you're back at St Joseph's in Dover yes so, with a
2: stopover at St Francis de Sales in Newark
0: oh with Newark too <laughs> I didn't have that on my yes. list so kind of getting around to these parishes and um, and and now you're a, a priest for six years, so you know you kinda through the break-in period, as some of my priest guests, you know, first couple of years, kind of a break-in period. But are you feeling at home as a Catholic? Well, priest? I felt
2: at home as soon as I got back to Dover because um, I had spent my first year and a half as a priest in that parish, so I had only been away maybe a year and a half before I came back. So the break-in period was was very easy oh, that's coming wonderful. back to that.
0: It's a homecoming. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, as we're wrapping this up today, do you have any advice for another man out there that might be discerning, is this my call, is priesthood my direction?
2: My advice would be to open up your heart to all possibilities of the way that God is willing to work in your life. And again, don't force the doors. Look for the open doors and then walk through them. Uh, Because I spent a good many years trying to make my own doors and go through them and everything. But everything started to fall in place in life when I let God do that work. Mm. And then with good friends, with prayer, and the support of family, then you'll see the open doors and you'll know where to go.
0: Beautiful advice. Uh, Father Jimmy Hatfield, thank you so much for sharing your story. We love our converts. Can you end us with a blessing?
2: Absolutely. May the Lord watch over you, keep you in his care, and bless you with his peace. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you again for being with us. This is Elizabeth Ficicelli, host for Answering the Call, and we'll see you again on Tuesdays and Sundays at 1230 for another episode. God bless you.
1: Answering the Call is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, AM820.
2: Archives of Answering the Call with Elizabeth Ficicelli are available at stgabrielradio.com. Then
1: he They share the most intimate moments of life and death with us. They pour the water of life into our souls. They feed us with living bread from heaven. They're waiting in the confessional to unburden us from sin. They receive the vows that transform man and woman into husband and wife. They're with us when we're sick, our final escorts from time into eternity. Greed, sexism, and abuse don't sum up the priesthood. The average priest makes under $35,000 a year. Jesus ordained men, but women never had to be priests to be important in the church. And there were nine credible allegations of child abuse in 2013. That's out of about 40,000 U.S. priests. One is too many, but nine don't define the rest. One word sums up the priesthood, love. Not the flawed love of human beings, the love of God, who promised that He'd always be with us, and who reaches out and touches the world today through His priests. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com.